So I, I just want to thank you guys for taking your time, for sharing your story, uh, for opening up your heart. And it's a big deal. This is going to be public, right? This is going to be on, on YouTube. <laughs> it's going to be in front of your church family. Uh, and I appreciate uh, what you've been able to share. And I just want to encourage our church family. Uh, Kirk, Kirk and Connie are a great resource for you. If you grew up in the Catholic Church uh, and you have questions, you know this series is going to challenge a lot of our thinking. It's going to challenge us to think deeply about what God's Word says about the most important issues of our life, um, which is our faith. If you are struggling to process this as somebody who is a former Catholic, or you're still involved in the Catholic Church, Kirk and Connie are a great resource for you too. Ask them questions. Ask them about their experience and what they walk through. And they, I know that they would love to be a blessing to you. Yeah. And thanks. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you, you for having us also. Yeah. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate it the great. opportunity. It's really, um, it's really important, I think, mm-hmm. to us that people who come from the Catholic Church or feel like they still have to be Catholic realize that um, there is a power in stepping away that you probably don't realize until you can say to yourself, I'm not Catholic and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it can be kind of scary mm-hmm. to make that bold statement. All right. So we are going to conclude the Reformation series and I have enjoyed um, the challenge of the study and the preparation to bring to you what is the greatest, um, I think one of the greatest recoveries of the gospel uh, in modern history. And so it, we, it has not been, a, I think, a, an easy series as far as communicating it. I've, I've, I've weighed a, every word that I've written and said and communicated, and I know it's been challenging, uh, but also know that for a lot of people, I have gotten a lot of positive feedback from your life about what God has done through this series and how it has opened your eyes and challenged you and liberated you in your thinking about what God's Word says about the most important issues of this life, which is justification before God. And so uh, we're going to conclude with the last sola. We're going to look at the glory of God in all things. And so I've titled the message this morning, All the Glory is His. All the Glory is His. Would you pray with me before we jump in? Lord, we come before you and we say thank you, Lord, for the men and women throughout history that have stood up and boldly stood against all forms of, of messages and ideas and mindsets and traditions and superstitions that have pointed away from the purity of your gospel. We thank you for those that have paved the way for us to stand in their shoes, to walk in their path, and to boldly proclaim the same gospel message, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and apart from works and in Christ alone. And God, I thank you for that, for that privilege. And today we're going to look at the reality that because of those realities, it is only for the glory of God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all here today to hear, to listen, to receive. And Lord, I pray that you would help me today to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Johann Sebastian Bach, who's heard of Johann Sebastian Bach? He's considered by many as a German composer. He was considered by many, he is considered by many to be the greatest composer in Western history. 
the greatest composer of music in Western history. And so he, whenever he would write a composition, he would write out the notes and write out a a composition, he would sign his name, but he would also sign it with three letters. And these were the three letters, S-D-G. And it would look like this, S-D-G. And he signed most of his compositions this way. And the S-D-G stands for Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria, which is Latin for glory to God alone. Glory to God alone. Sola Deo Gloria. And so this is what we're going to look at. Sebastian Bach wanted the glory to go to God alone through his music, through his work, through, the, through, through what it took to, to write the beautiful music that he would write. Glory to God alone in all things. And so this is the final sola that we're going to look at as we conclude this series. And so we're going to look at how that if it is true that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ apart from works, then God is the only one that gets the glory. Isn't that what Paul said in Ephesians 2 when we studied earlier in this series? So that no man may boast. It's apart from works so that no man may boast. The only boasting that takes place is our boasting in the Lord and in his work. And if it is his work, then he alone gets the glory. He alone gets the glory. So building into this, I have a main text that we're going to look at here today. It's going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But before we get there, I want to ask the question, what is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? And Whenever you think about defining the glory of God, it really is an intimidating thing to try to define the glory of God. We have many different ways in which we can think about what the glory of God is as we see in Scripture. But what is the glory of God? I have have two theologians, one still alive, modern day theologian, and, and one that died just recently. And the first one is John Piper. John Piper defines the glory of God as this. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. you got to read that a second time. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. J.I. Packer, who died a year or two ago, I think last year maybe, he says this, what is the glory of God? It is who God is. It is the essence of his nature. The weight of his importance, the radiance of his splendor, the demonstration of his power, the atmosphere of his presence. And I would say this, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is directly connected to his perfect holiness. Because God is perfectly holy, when you think about perfect holiness, you I think about the glory of God. None of us here today know what perfect holiness is. Do we? What is perfect holiness? It is something that we can never, we can never attain to in this life in and of ourselves. We can never be perfectly holy. We are in the process of being sanctified. We have remaining sin in our life. And so I want us to think about the glory of God in connection with his perfect, sinless, spotless holiness. Think about God being perfectly holy. No sin, no trace of imperfection, perfectly true and glorious and holy and sinless. How can we understand that? I mean, we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is filled with sin. We live in a world 
that in many ways does not reflect the glory of God. Definitely his perfect holiness. This is the glory of God, his holiness, his glory. And God decided he was going to make his perfect holiness and glory visible. How did he make it visible? Look at Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare what? The glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Isaiah 6. Do you remember the vision the prophet Isaiah had when he saw the Lord high and lifted up? He says, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings and with two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his. The earth is full of his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation declares the glory of God. Did you see there in Isaiah 6? Holy, holy, holy. And then glory, perfection, perfect holiness and the glory of God. It's something that is beyond our human understanding. But God in in a beautiful way, has in creation declared his glory. A, 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 a picture of his glory, of his holiness through creation. So some, some people look at creation and they look at the vastness. You know, our, 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 our universe is so vast. Our universe is so big. And some people would, would say, why is there such a meaningless vastness of uninhabited galaxies? Why is there just this meaningless vastness of uninhabited galaxies? And in this small planet called Earth is where God has placed us little small humans in the middle of the vastness of this galaxy. Here's what I believe the answer is. The universe and the vastness of it is not intended to portray the importance of man. We're not the center of the universe. The universe is intended to give man an understanding of the majesty of God. That's what the vastness of creation is designed to do. Not so that we can marvel at at how man can see the vastness of creation through technology and science, but how we can marvel at the majesty of God. And do you see how how modern science has, has flipped the script? They put God on the side as they study science, and they will only believe in what they see through empirical evidence. But the very reason God has given man the ability to use a scientific method to observe this creation is so that they would stand in awe of the majesty of God and his glory in creation. This is why Psalms 53.1 says this, the fool says in his heart there is no God. When you look around at all of creation, you see the vastness of creation, you see the glory of God, and only a fool would look at all of that and say there is no God. God. How else has God made his glory visible? You see in Exodus 13, we go into the Old Testament. We see God before the children of Israel in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Isn't that powerful? God rescued them from Egyptian slavery and so they're in the wilderness and God sends a a, a cloud by day to guide them on their journey to the promised land it was his glory manifested in the cloud and then a pillar of fire by night and look i want i want you to know that anytime you look in scripture and you see the glory of god like the cloud wasn't this little puff of smoke that went around kind of you know pointing the direction it was a cute little cloud no i think it was like 
you ever seen some storm clouds? And you look at that and you think, whoa, something's coming. I think you looked at the glory cloud of God and you were unmistaken that this was God's glory and his doing in his direction. And the pillar of fire, it was unmistakable that it was God's glory. God making his glory visible in a cloud and in a pillar of fire. Exodus 19. How did God make his glory visible? You remember the story? Moses is going up to Mount Sinai. God says he wants to talk to him, wants to give him his law to go bring to the people. And what happens on the mountain on Mount Sinai? The mountain shook. There was an earthquake. There was smoke. There was fire. God said, Moses, I want to speak to my people. Prepare them. Make preparations for them to come to speak to me. They must cleanse themselves ceremonially. ceremonially. They have to come and be prepared to enter my presence. And I'm going to come down and speak to them. And the glory of the Lord came down on the mountain. And the mountain shook. And there was fire. And there was smoke. And there was lightning. And the people said, oh no. It wasn't a little puffy cloud of God's glory. When God's glory comes down, man knows. And man was afraid. The glory of God made visible. God made his glory visible. Do you remember Exodus 33, Moses? What a bold prayer that Moses prayed. Moses prayed, God, show me your glory. How many times you would pray that, God, show me your glory? Do you want to pray like Moses prays? God, show me your glory. Be careful what you ask for. (laughs) You may not be able to be around people for a while. What did what happened to Moses? God told Moses, He says, He says, Look, if I show you my full glory, you will die. He says, So I'm gonna I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of this rock, and I'm gonna pass just my back parts, the backside of the essence of who I am, and you're gonna see a little bit of that. And he, that's what he saw. And what did, what happened to Moses when he saw a tiny portion of the backside of God's glory in his person his, his his face shined so bright that when he came down the mountain the people were afraid they said Moses we can't talk to you you're, 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 you're freaking us out we are afraid put a sack over your head that's what he had to do the glory of God made visible so the glory of God was also made visible in the ark of the covenant the presence of God dwelled in the Ark of the Covenant in the wilderness, in the, in, the, in, in the tent of meeting. The glory of God would dwell in the Ark of the Covenant. And then eventually, permanently in the tabernacle, God's presence, His glory would dwell in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. God's glory made visible. And all of these are types and shadows leading to God's glory being made visible in Christ. Look what Colossians 1, 15-19 say. In light of what I just said, think about this. Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. Verse 19. For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Wow. God, show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. Moses saw a back part of God's glory. But scripture says that all the fullness of God, all of his glory, all of his majesty, all of his holiness was pleased to dwell in Christ. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. 
when Christ walked the earth, it was the glory of God made visible. The glory of God is made manifest in Christ. The glory of God is who he is. And when I think about the glory of God, it is just a subject that is so, you you feel the weight of that. The glory of God, we can never truly understand what that is. And somehow, somehow, the Bible says that if we are in him, that we are going to be glorified with him and we are going to share in his glory. Brothers and sisters, what does that mean? I don't know. But I know that it's going to be good. And I know that that glory can't dwell right now in this physical body in its fullness. Because I die. But I know that one day this fleshly body will be done away with. And I will inherit a glorified body that will be able to share in the glory of God. That perfect, holy glory of God. And somehow, that glory, the glory of God, God has called us to do something. He's called us to glorify him. I want just to to think about this. I've just described God as perfectly holy, perfect glory. How is it that we could glorify him? How can we add anything to God? How could could we ever make God more glorious? Could we ever add anything to his glory? You can, you, you can answer me. No, right? We can never add anything to God's glory. But somehow, God has called us, and you see it throughout all the Scripture. We are called to glorify God, to, to, to make Him glorious in the world. What a, what, what a wonderful, beautiful call that we are called to give God glory in all things. The Bible says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of God. May we live lives that pursue that end, to glorify God, to put on display the power of God's glory in our lives. I, I, I just, in my, in my preparation this week, leading up to this subject of the glory of God in all things, glory to God alone, thinking about God's glory, I've just felt such a weight and a pressure leading up to this moment. And in some sense, I believe this is the most important message in this series Because the most important reality in all of human history is the glory of God. That is the purpose of why we exist. God has placed us on this planet not for our end, not for our glorification, not so that we can fulfill the purposes even that he's called us to. But he's placed us on this planet so that we can give him glory. So that he can be glorified. And it's just such an amazing reality to think about the perfect holiness and glory of God. And somehow God invites us to join him in making him glorious in the eyes of other people. So that they could see his glory and not see us. Isn't that so profound and overwhelming to think about? Soli Deo Gloria, the glory of God above all. And so I want to look at a text here today in 2 Corinthians 4 that talks about the reality of God's glory on display in Christ. And I want us to conclude this series looking at this text in 2 Corinthians 4 around the subject of the glory of God in Christ. This is the Apostle Paul. Listen to the word of God. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we 
do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is the word of the Lord here today. So some may have said in the last five weeks, why do a series on the Protestant Reformation? I ask myself that question. Some may say, well, why does it matter? Why why does it matter? Won't it just come across as bashing the Catholic Church? And I believe that the reason why it matters is because of the glory of God. The reason why it matters is because of the glory of God. And in this text, I see two reasons why it was necessary, why it is always necessary to reform and to not lose the centrality of the gospel of Christ that's where his glory is found. I see two reasons from this text and one main implication. So let's look at the two reasons. These are the two reasons why. Answering the question, why do a series on the Protestant Reformation? Why focus on these Reformation truths? Why focus on this? And this is the first reason I see from this text. Because tampering with the word of God steals glory that belongs only to him. Because tampering with the word of God steals glory that belongs only to him. Look what the text says there in 2 Corinthians 4. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. We don't lose heart. We've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to do what? To tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now this section right here, these first two verses, it is directly connected to the glory of God being seen in the face of Jesus Christ. How is the glory of God going to be seen in the face of Jesus Christ in the life in which we live? Through the preaching of and the declaring of God's word. That's how the glory of God is seen. It's through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And where do we get the gospel of Jesus Christ? Through the word of God. We didn't make it up. We didn't come up with it. It's not our idea. We see the gospel in holy scripture. So the glory of God, if it's going to be seen in the earth, it's going to be seen through the word of God Declared through your lips and through my lips. You guys see the connection? If the world will see glory in Christ, it's going to be because they see the glory of God in Christ through the word of God. This is why any tampering with the word of God is stealing the glory that only belongs to him. Now, if you notice what Paul says here, 
He says we refuse to practice cunning, to tamper with God's word. And notice what he says there. We commend every, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. Listen to what he says there. In the sight of God. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, we're going to preach God's word and God is watching. We're going to handle his truth and God is paying attention. We're going to represent him and God is paying attention to how we're doing it. In the sight of God. Listen to what Paul says here around the same thought, 1 Corinthians 4. He says this, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. That is some profound things right here. Listen to what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, you can judge me as as an apostle, as a preacher. You can judge my life. But that is a small thing. I want you to know, right, that's a small thing that you would judge me. That you would look at my life and my message and, 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 and the word that I preach and that, that you would judge me. Because that happens in our life. We judge each other, don't we? Paul says, that's a small thing. And, he, and, and then he says this. He says, I don't even judge myself. What's he saying there? He's saying, I can't even give you an accurate judgment of myself. Isn't that true of ourselves? Aren't we so often self-deceived? So Paul is saying here, he's saying, you don't judge me accurately. I don't judge myself accurately. Look what he says here. He says, he says but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, you know how sometimes people get those bumper stickers in their t-shirts and say, only God can judge me? They need to read this section right here. Because that is not the context. Their t-shirt is not the right context. I'm here to tell you. If they understood what the scripture is actually saying, it is the Lord who judges me, they would understand that the Lord will judge. But he's not judging based upon this this idea that I just live life however I want to live. It doesn't matter what you think or you think or my neighbor thinks or anybody thinks. And that's absolutely true. So that's what Paul says here. You you can judge me, but it, it doesn't matter. God is the one who will judge me. In the sight of God. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word because it is in the sight of God. Have you ever had somebody twist your words? You ever had somebody take your words out of context? Happens to me often. (laughs) Isn't Isn't that aggravating? Don't you want to defend yourself? Don't you want to get on the phone? Uh, How about on social media? Somebody takes a post that you said and they read into your motives. What do you do on social media? You do a counter post. And now you got a social media battle going on on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or, or wherever that takes place. We don't like it whenever our words are twisted, do we? I love what the Bible exposition commentary says. If people treated other books the way they treat the Bible, they would never learn anything. If people treated other books the way they treat the Bible, they would never learn anything. 
people take the Bible and they take scissors and they cut through it and they take things out of context. They don't use the basic understanding of interpretational skills when you read. And they they make the Bible say anything that they want to make it say. They cut the Bible up, they twist it, they change it, they add to it. When we tamper with God's word, we are joining Satan in his quest from the beginning to steal the glory that belongs only to Christ. I talked about that a few weeks ago in Sola Scriptura. The scripture is a final authority. When we twist scripture, we're actually joining the father of lies. Because look, when you twist scripture, it's a lie. Right? So if you take me out of context and you, and you don't quote the context and you twist my words, it's a lie. It's the same that if I did that to you. So why is it that we think we can do that to God's word? And, and well, that's just a different interpretation. That's just their interpretation. If we're twisting it, then it's a lie. I believe you can actually know what the Bible means by what it says. I, I, I believe that. So just a lot of times what happens is we don't like what it looks like it's saying. And so we change it. You remember what Satan did in, in the garden? He told Eve, he said, you will not surely die. Did God really say? Did God really say? This is what Satan has done from the beginning with God's words. God gave commands. God gave words to Adam and to Eve, to Adam. It was Adam's job to give it to Eve. And so Satan comes and tempts Eve and says, Eve, did God really say? And and then Satan says, you will not surely die. You're not going to surely die. He was lying. He was twisting God's word. Misrepresenting, twisting or adding to Holy Scripture is offensive to God because it is a maligning of his name and character. It is a diminishing of his glory and it will result in judgment. Revelation 22. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. There's a curse that is connected with twisting and changing and adding to God's holy word. That's why James 3.1 says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be held with greater strictness in the sight of God, right? We'll be held to greater strictness because it is in the sight of God because this is his word. These are his words. They're not mine. When I stand here, my job is to minimize my words as much as possible and to help you to see what God's word means by what it says. My job is to remind all of us that when we read Holy Scripture, we are reading the clearest, the truest, and the most authoritative revelation of who God is. God has revealed his glory through his holy word. And may we never steal any of that glory by adding to his word and placing on people man-made traditions or superstitions that are not in scripture. So why does it matter? Why do a series on the Reformation? Because it matters that anyone would tamper with God's holy word. Because it matters that you or I could be influenced by somebody who is tampering or twisting or adding to God's word. That we would be influenced by a religious system. Whatever it is, a, a, a false religious system, however it is shaped or, 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 or built or what, whatever the platform is. That, that we would ever be influenced by a twisting and an adding to 
and the changing of God's holy word. These are not our words. We can't play fast and loose with them. This is why it matters. We don't tamper with God's word. We believe it is the final revelation. We don't believe that we can add to it. We don't believe that we can speak outside of it and call you to walk in what we say outside of Scripture as authoritative in your life. I have no authority. Hear me. I have no authority as your pastor in and of myself. I have no authority. The only authority that God has given me to shepherd and to steward is the authority of his word. If I don't speak from God's word, I have no authority. I'm just a, I'm just a, a talking head. This is why it matters. Why else does it matter? You guys ready to keep going? You think I'm summing it up? Wrapping it up here? Here's another reason. Because the God of this world seeks to hide the glory of God as revealed in Christ. Main reason is because the word of God, when it's twisted and maligned, taken out of context and added to, it steals glory that doesn't belong to us. And secondly, because the God of this world seeks to hide the glory of God as revealed in Christ. Look back at 2 Corinthians 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, lowercase g, Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. To keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Paul is saying here that unbelievers cannot see the glory of God as revealed in Christ. Why can't unbelievers see the glory of God as revealed in Christ? Because the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of God in Christ. How has Satan blinded the minds of unbelievers? How does that happen? How does he blind the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the beauty and the glory of Christ? Romans 1 tells us this. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, what do men do? They do what? Suppress the truth. What do they suppress? The glory of God. What do we see in Psalm 19 earlier in the introduction? The glory of God is seen where? In creation. There's enough light in creation to point people with the conscience that God has given them to point them in the right direction towards God. And ultimately towards Christ. But what do men do? How does the God of this world blind men? He blinds them through a suppressing of that truth of the glory of God through unrighteousness, through sin. And he motivates people to choose unrighteousness over God. Choose sin over glory. Choose sin over Christ. Choose sin over what God has planned. The truth can be found, but man suppresses the truth. They exchange the truth for a lie, it says in Romans 1. They choose unrighteousness over truth. And how is this unrighteousness played out in our life? You guys ever read 1 John? It says this, do not love the world, the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. This is how the world is blinded to the glory of Christ. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is what the world keeps, the godless world keeps in front of humanity. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life being consumed and obsessed with this present world that they can't see the, transcendent, the transcendence of a holy, glorious God. 
All they see is the sin and the pleasures of sin that are right in front of them. And the glory of God cannot be seen because they are, they are like zombies. Before Christ, we're like zombies following the passions of our flesh and of our mind. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says this, secularism, materialism, and the intrusive presence of things have put out the light in our souls and turned us into a generation of zombies. Isn't that true? We don't want to know truth. We are our only truth in in society today. We don't want to know a transcendent truth. We don't want to know a glorious transcendent truth. We only want a truth that, that comes back around to us as the center. Why? Men suppress the truth of the glory of God and the glory of God in Christ through unrighteousness, through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so the world are like walking dead people. What does Ephesians 2 said? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's the first zombie section there in the Bible. You think zombies, that people in Hollywood came up with zombies? No, God came up with zombies in Ephesians 2. You were dead, but you were alive, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you were living your life like a zombie, and you couldn't see the glory of God because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is how the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers from seeing the glory of God. Have you, ever, have you ever looked for something that was hidden in plain sight? I have. Watched my wife do it. <laughs> Look for something hidden in plain sight. You know those, those little purses that you have, ladies? They are like the, the Bermuda Triangle. That's what they are. It should be renamed. <laughs> and if something gets in there that you're looking for, I promise you, you won't find it for a while. Now, it's in plain sight, is it not? And, and look, I will look into the purse. I'll look in and she said, no, you're not a good looker. <laughs> Let me go in there. And she'll look in there. And sure enough, underneath the, underneath the makeup, underneath the whatever, and the book, and the, the notes, and the, all the other stuff you got in there, it's there, but it's hidden in plain sight and this is this is the way of the world god is hidden in plain sight but they don't see it they don't recognize it it's like your wife's keys missing in her purse hidden in plain sight and so this is what i believe this is going to be challenging here for us as we conclude this series but Why was the 16th century Reformation necessary? My contention and the the belief of the Reformers was that the glory of Christ was being hidden in plain sight by the Roman Catholic Church. Look, the Roman Catholic Church, the Catholic Church today, in Rome and in Chauvin and in Berg and in Homa, whatever parish you want to go to, they believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They believe in the virgin birth. They believe that Jesus is the God-man. They believe that he lived, that he died, that he rose from the grave. They believe in the Trinity. We have so many of the big things in, in common, the Catholic Church. But here's how I believe 
that the glory of God is hidden. How is Christ hidden? The glory of Christ is hidden in plain sight behind the methods and the means. Behind the methods and the means. That's how the glory of Christ is hidden. It's hidden behind the methods and the means of how to get to Christ. I would say it like this. Hidden in plain sight behind the idolatrous veneration of Mary is Christ the only one worthy of our worship. Mary is here, but Christ is on the other side of her. And the Catholic Church teaches that what better way to get to Christ than to go through his mother? It is stealing from the glory of the only one that is perfectly holy and righteous. Christ is there, but I got to go through Mary to get to her. That is idolatry, hidden. Christ is hidden in plain sight. They have the right view of his deity. The right view that he was raised from the dead, but they put Mary in front of him. Hidden in plain sight, behind the idolatrous veneration of saints, is Christ, the only one worthy of our prayers. The only one that has God-like qualities is God. The only one that can hear a dead saint cannot hear your prayer and your prayer and your prayer and your prayer and prayers of people all around the world at the same time. Only God is omniscient and all-knowing. Only God can hear our prayers. When we pray, Jesus taught us, this is how you pray, our Father in heaven. And when you pray, you go into your closet, you shut the door, and you pray to your Father who is in heaven. Hidden in plain sight behind the prayers to Mary and prayers to the saints is Christ, the only one worthy of worship and prayer. And it steals from the glory of Christ alone. Hidden in plain sight behind the sacramental system of justification is Christ, the only one who can justify us before God. Justification is hidden and locked up in the sacramental system. And Christ is there. Christ is there, but you have to go through the sacramental system to get what Christ has for you. This is kind of how I'd say it. Christ is over here, but you've got to jump through this hoop first. Christ is over here, but you have to go through this sacrament first. Jesus is here, but you can't see him in his glory. Why? Because the church says, look to this holy water to cleanse you. Look at this relic. The bones of a saint from the 16th century. Look at this relic. Look to the Holy Father. Look at the ornate sanctuary. Look how glorious Mother Church is. Christ is here, but you can't see him because his glory is shielded and, and is muted because of what man has done. They've added to Scripture. They've twisted Scripture and they've made it more difficult to get to Christ than what the gospel says it should be. Do you believe that? I pray you do. When we hide Jesus behind any man-made religious system, we are joining the God of this world in hiding the glory of God in Christ. I thought a long time before I said that. Before I wrote it down, I thought about it, I thought about it, I put it down, and I looked at it. Who is it that hides the glory of God in Christ from the world? It's Satan who does that. 
It's Satan, right? Did we just read that in 2 Corinthians 4? The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing the glory of God in Christ. If I or the Catholic Church or, the, or, or what the Mormon Church does or the, the Jehovah Witnesses do when, when they name Christ, but they put other things in front of Christ, they put sacraments and they put religious systems and they put churches and they put all these things in front of Christ. If we, any of us do that, we are joining Satan the God of this world, in hiding the glory of God in Christ. And that reality should make us shudder. That reality should humble us. You know, Jesus rebuked a group of people who did that in the Bible. You remember the scribes and Pharisees? Go read Matthew 23. In light of the whole series, in light of the whole series, Go home today, read Matthew 23, the rebuke of the scribes and Pharisees, and you will see a parallel between all that we've covered and the scribes and Pharisees right there. What did Jesus culminate in saying with the scribes and Pharisees? He says, your focus on outward appearance and customs has shut people out of the kingdom of God. It is possible by traditions and customs and things that are non-biblical that you can actually shut people out of the kingdom of God because you're preventing them from seeing the glory of Christ. Isaiah 42, 8 says this. God says this. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So why does it matter? Because twisting God's word steals glory that belongs only to God. And because the glory of Christ should not be hidden by man-made tradition. And lastly, here's one powerful implication here today. The glory of God in jars of clay puts the power of God on display. Look back at the text. Last verse we're going to cover, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So what treasure do we have? We have the glory of God in Christ. You remember the glory of God on Mount Sinai? Remember the glory of God with Moses? You remember the glory of God, the pillar of cloud, the cloud and the pillar of fire by night? Do you remember the glory of God in the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember the glory of God? That fearful, beautiful, wonderful, mysterious glory. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Wow. Wow. I don't, I don't understand it. And you're halfway clapping because you don't understand it either. We, 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 if we really understood it, we'd probably be standing up. or I know we'd be bowing down on the ground. Oh, oh Lord. How is it that we can have the glory of God in Christ Dwell in this jar of clay. What, what, what does the phrase jars of clay mean? It comes from the phrase clay pot or earthen vessel. Earthen vessel. There's another section of scripture that Paul talks about vessels of honorable use and vessels of dishonorable use. The vessels of honorable use are vessels that you eat from. Your, 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 your ribeye steak, your carne asada, your, your, you know, your bowl for your gumbo, your chicken and sausage gumbo, you know, that you eat that. You eat off of that. But the vessels for dishonorable use, you do not want to eat from them. Why? 
Because stuff goes on there <laughs> that you throw away. Okay? This is the same picture. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. So who are we today? <laughs> We're the earthen vessels. Wow. That's, yeah, you're clapping, but, but I just told you that you're basically, um, you're basically, uh, you know, you're a vessel that can be thrown away. But, but, but think about that. The glory of God in earthen vessels. That's what we are. We're clay pots. We're vessels for the master's use. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and the glory of God in earthen vessels meant to be discarded after use. I want to read this section real quick. It's a little lengthy. We're, we're almost done, but I just, I love the power here of what Paul again is saying. It's like Corinthians 12. I'll, I want you to see this. Take Corinthians 12. Now, Paul's going to use some language here that we're not used to. He's going to talk about an experience he had, a vision he had, and we went to see the third heavens. And, and he, he, doesn't even want to, he doesn't even want to use his name, but he was the one who had the vision. So he's going to talk like it's another man who had the vision. But he's doing that because he doesn't want to take any credit for any of that vision. So he's not talking like it's him, but it is him, okay? 2 Corinthians 12. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So I got a little, just a little sidebar here real quickly. He heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Paul had a vision of the third heaven, went to paradise, and he heard and saw things that cannot be told and should not be uttered. You know, if somebody got a hold of Paul today, the modern evangelical movement, they tell Paul, write a book about your vision. Wouldn't they? How many books are sold, bestsellers, and you got this guy saying heaven's like this, you got this guy saying heaven's like this, or this lady, this person, heaven's like this, heaven's like that, I went to heaven, I went to hell. What does Paul say? The apostle says, I went to heaven, the third heaven. I don't know what the third heaven is, but he went there. I saw paradise, and I can't talk about it. He could have talked about it. He said, but I'm not going to. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But not on my behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, meaning this is, all this is true. But I refrain from it so that no one may think of me more than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Does anybody have a thorn in your flesh? I think God's given me a couple. We all need some thorns. And he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, Paul says, all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. Who likes to boast in their weaknesses here today? Their insecurities. None of us do. But you see, the, 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 the power doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. I will more gladly boast in my weaknesses because that is where the power of God is seen. Earthen vessels. People look at, at us and say, the glory of God in that? The glory of God in you? You remember last week we, we talked about how the world looks at us and says, not many of you are wise, not many of you were noble. You, you, know, you, were, you, were, you know, the world looks at down the Bayou Cajun country and they say we're all backwards. We don't, we're not educated. We go, we go to work in boats and all of that, right? Some of you do go to work in boats, but, but we don't have highways. We're kind of, but right, the world looks at, can look at us and say, you're not of a noble birth. You're not born in California. You're not of the, of the intellectual elite. But we will boast in our weaknesses. Because the glory doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Christ. This is the picture. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. I'm going to conclude here. It's kind of like Tupperware and Styrofoam. Now, this is not Tupperware for all you Tupperware people, but I don't know what else to call it. I call all these things Tupperware. But I know there's a brand of Tupperware. This is Rubbermaid. But this is the idea that, 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 we're this. We're this. We're styrofoam. We're not the, the, the stain-free Tupperware dish. That's what it said on the package. It resists stains. We're not the nice-looking package here. We're the styrofoam that's meant to be thrown away. Meant to be what? Discarded. This is us. But this is us. With all our bumps and our bruises and our scratches and our issues and our weaknesses. And the glory of God in Christ, if you're a believer here today, dwells in this earthen vessel. We want to be like this, don't we? We want to have the nice lid that locks and doesn't, it's, it's leak proof, right? Don't you love that? Don't you hate it when your Tupperware leaks? It says it's not supposed to leak, but it does. So you buy the other one that's $15 instead of 5 thinking that maybe it's going to work this time. We, this is what we want to be, but this is who we are. But the glory, God pours out his glory in Christ in us. We have this treasure in jars of clay, in clay pots. Why? So that it will be evident that the power belongs to God and not to us. God is not glorified through our lives because we look like Tupperware. God is most glorified through us because we look more like styrofoam containers. The glory of God demonstrated through that container. How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. Soli Deo Gloria. The power belongs to God and not to us. Salvation's by God's power. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. And because of that, God alone gets the glory. God alone gets the glory when he raises the dead to life. God alone gets the glory when he, when he uses us for his glory. God alone gets the glory. Because it's not of man, it is his power. The heart of the gospel is the glory of God in the nations of the earth. That is the heart of the gospel, that the nations would celebrate in the glory of God in Christ. And he uses clay pots, earthen vessels, to pour the glory of Christ into so that you can carry that glory wherever you go. And you can point the nations of the world to the glory of Christ. Oh, that men would see Christ. 
that they would see Christ and not us. They would see Christ and not our traditions. They would see Christ and not our superstitions. That they would see Christ and not what we put in front of him. May we never place anything in the way of people seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Soli Deo Gloria. So my last question for you today is, is how will God use us styrofoam containers? How is he going to use us? That's my question for your life. How is he using you right now? My question for you is to think about how else does he want to use you? To take the glory of God that dwells in you and to bring it to others. Psalm 115.1 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And Lord, that is our prayer. Not to us, not to us, but to your name give glory. God, I thank you for this series. I thank you for us taking the time to go through your word and to look at what your word says about justification, about sanctification, about the purity of your gospel. And I pray that whatever whatever belief or system or idea that is putting something in front of Christ and we can't see the purity of his glory and Christ is hindered from our sight, God, I pray that we would abandon that. I pray that we would turn our back on all things that hinder us from getting to Christ, that we would embrace Christ fully. I pray that if there's those here today that have not fully embraced Christ and they've embraced other things, maybe they've embraced the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, but today they've heard the gospel and they've seen the glory of God in Christ. And today I pray that they would make a decision to receive by faith alone the gift of salvation that comes from Christ. And God, I pray that you would use us, styrofoam containers, earthen vessels, for your glory, that people would see you through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. And I'll see you next week.